I love our uh, experience together wherever you're joining us, but right here in the room today, for everybody who's present, uh, fist bump, high five, socially distanced hug, whatever it is, I, I'm so ready for us to be together, and it encourages me to see you. Some people every week are saying, you know, Pastor, this is my first time back since uh, COVID. If that's you, so glad you're here, so glad you're stepping up. Every week we see our attendance grow a little bit more as we step out and then we, but we're making room, we're keeping our distance, but we want to love one another in presence. And uh, so blessing to everybody at Kindle who's doing that, Gables is doing that, and then those of us who are still connecting digitally wherever you are, we're so glad. I just wish we could extend our embrace to you. But here's the promise that we know, where two or three gather in his name. Jesus said, I am with them. So today, may the presence of Jesus be with you all as we connect in his name. Um, when, uh, when the witness is preparing to give testimony, they're asked what? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And, uh, and they promise that what they are about to say will be 100% true 100% of the time that they are on the stand. Now, wouldn't it be something if life could be lived that way, that you could know 100% of the time, 100% of what you hear is 100% true. Would that be something? Of course, even people under oath have been discovered false. To lie under oath is perjury. To commit perjury, that's a crime against justice. It is compromising uh, the authority of the court, the jury, and everybody concerned. But in our culture, telling the truth matters. And in courts of law all across our county in particular, I'll tell you, every judicial bench in Miami-Dade County has this sign above it. We who labor here seek only the truth. The truth matters in a court of law. Well, one day, Jesus is standing before Pilate in Jerusalem, and he tells him, this is John chapter 18, he tells him that he came into the world to testify to the truth. And then Jesus told him that everyone on the side of truth listens to him. And then Pilate asked that infamous question. What is truth? And you can almost hear the disdain in his voice. Or maybe the despair. Like, what is truth in this world? What is, what is that? And that's the question we're asking today. What is truth? Are yours the same as mine? Or is what we call truth really just spin? Or what somebody else would call fake news? What is truth? That's the question. I was invited to participate uh, in a Zoom meeting with a group of teenagers from our area, not from our church. Actually, it was a group of non-Christian teenagers who wanted to ask an evangelical pastor about what we believe, you know? And so it sounded to me like, oh, this is going to be about truth, right? This is questions of truth. What is truth? What do we believe and why? But the questions as they came, there's about 13 of us that were on the Zoom, and uh, the questions as they came were more about behaviors 
they, they really wanted to know what behaviors we allowed and what behaviors we didn't or that we were opposed to. And then questions came up about LGBTQ, about abortion, about suicide, about feminism, about... Um, I was asked this question, do you think you'd be a Christian if you hadn't been raised in a Christian home? So the teens were very articulate, they were very intelligent, but it became clear to me that the, the truth that they were evaluating was focusing on behaviors. What is truth? How would you answer that question? Is truth the presuppositions we hold? Is truth the practices we live by? Is truth the assumptions we make from the vantage point that we occupy. I've heard it said, maybe you've heard this. Perception is more important than reality. Then does that mean that truth is perception? And it changes with every person. What is truth? Was Pilate's question, it's ours today. My oldest daughter had a friend in high school here at Gables High. Very intelligent, very articulate, with a mind for philosophy. He was attending our student ministry at the time and uh, checking out what we believed. And then he told me, we were visiting privately, um, and he told me that he wasn't a Christian, that he was more into philosophy and science. And he was studying string theory and the theory of everything. And uh, so we got into the conversation, and then it, he started pouring a lot of postmodern relativism into the conversation. And... Um, Truth claims that, what that means is that truth claims need to be deconstructed until you find out what they're built on. What, what uh, power structure do they come from? What perspective in social power do they come from? And, um, and somewhere in the conversation, it, it just felt appropriate me, to me just to ask him, well, how does that live for you? You know, what we're talking about, the philosophy, how does that live for you? And he said, oh, it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. It's my philosophy on truth. But his philosophy was based so much on deconstructing what others held to be true that it made me ask him, you know, as I asked him, well, can you trust anything? Do you trust anything? Can you really trust anything to be true? And he said, well, I trust your daughter. I thought, that's a good answer. You know, I trust your daughter. I, why? Why? He said because he knew her to be a person who tells the truth. That she does what she says. That she follows through. That she was a person of character. And um, so then I asked him, I said, well, when she tells you about Jesus, can you trust her to be telling the truth? And he said, I don't know. Well, the relativism, I'm telling you that story because the relativism filter that he was seeing life through, the, that he was viewing the world through, is a worldview called modernism, postmodernism, postmodernism. And postmodernism basically it holds to the, the death of truth by how we think about thinking and deconstructing every story that is told. And so postmodernism has been called the death of truth. Because it deconstructs the stories that we hold to be true, typically. Deconstructing them as power structures. Which is why the status quo has the status of the quo. And uh, 
A new insight to me in preparing this series actually was this, that postmodernism cannot exist without something to deconstruct. It needs a host. It can't exist without some truth claim that claims to be solid to feed upon. In that sense, postmodernism is like a, a kind of ideological parasite. It doesn't bring anything solid into the culture. What it does is eats away at what others claim to be solid by seeing through them. And it breaks them down. So then it struck me, hey, no wonder Corey's friend found his philosophy insufficient for life. He said, no, it doesn't live. It's inadequate to behave by. Why? Well, the worldview can't give what it doesn't have. Now, it sounds intelligent. It sounds so intelligent, like you're really in the know, and you can see through what others hold to, but in truth, it's not even smart enough to live your daily life. So back to the question, what is truth? How would you answer that? What is truth? Is truth a set of material facts in the material world that can be proved and attest to? Okay, how about immaterial? Can truth be immaterial as well? Like love and justice. You can't really put those in a test tube to validate their existence. Are they real? Or like ideas or thoughts or dreams or memories that exist in an immaterial way. Are those true? Or can they lead you into an experience of truth. My youngest daughter asked me one day when she was in second grade, I'll never forget this, she came to me after singing this song, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. You know what she said to me? Daddy, if life is but a dream, who's dreaming us? That's a philosophical question about a worldview, about truth. Uh, Descartes believed rational thought, even though immaterial, was solid evidence of truth. And you might remember he said this, I think, therefore I am. That's like the bumper sticker of the Enlightenment. Because it was held to be true, even though it was immaterial but rational. So intellectualism, born out of that, believes that truth must make rational sense. Maybe you believe that. Truth has to be rational. But today, in our culture, with every other source of authority being questioned, being eaten away by postmodernism and relativism and deconstruction, um, we find it more convenient to believe that the truth I feel is what's most real. That's called sensualism. Sensualism, what our senses cause us to feel. The truth I feel is what's most real. It really doesn't matter if it's rational anymore. It's what do I feel about me? That's what must be most real. But then as you track that one down, you know what you discover is that your five senses, what you feel, those windows into your feelings, don't tell you the whole truth about anything. They give you a piece of it, but if one of your senses is off, then it skews the whole picture. 
like you know the story of the blind men and the elephant, right? One had it by the tail and said, oh, elephant is rope. Another one had it by the leg and said, no, elephant is tree. And another one has it by the, 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 the uh, trunk and says, no, elephant is snake. Another one by the tusk. Elephant is spear. Well, what are we supposed to learn from that? <laughs> Maybe the one lesson is this, that subjective experience, how you feel, what your senses tell you, through our limited senses, don't tell us the whole truth. They don't tell us the whole truth. What is truth? That's the question. We have blind spots that limit our understanding. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of underlines this for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. The window to the world are your eyes. And then he concludes by saying this, If the light within you is darkness, in its reality it's darkness, how great is that darkness? What does that mean? That means if what you call light is really darkness, man, you're living in a huge blind spot. That's why worldview matters, because it's about view. How do you view? How do you see your world? How do you frame your reality. It matters. And so if what you're calling truth, here's the thing, what you see or what you don't see is what you get or what you don't get. So you're missing something. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If what you're calling light is really dark, then man, you're in the dark, really, no matter how much you call it light. Your worldview matters. And if what you're calling truth is really something else, or something less, then you're living in the dark. That's Jesus' view. So Jesus is affirming that there is such a thing as objective truth. And I'm telling you, I'll just go through a list real quickly here and show you why. Jesus is affirming that it isn't something that we simply make up based on how we feel in a moment. That there is such a thing as objective truth. That truth isn't simply subjective perspective on how we see or feel things or how we want them to be. That truth is that which corresponds to uh, and conforms to reality. And there is such a thing as scientific truth. Claims that can be verified by the scientific method in the material world. There is such a thing as historical truth. Those are truth claims that can be verified by archaeological records or by documentary records. There are truth claims that um, are experiential truth, discoveries that we make in the living of life. And you know what we call that, going through the school of hard knocks. And those lessons are truth that you now live by because you experienced something. That's not fake news. That's real. That's true. There is such a thing as spiritual truth. From the realm of the immaterial, you can't see it any more than you can see ideas and memories and thoughts, but, but there is spiritual reality. And Jesus then takes all of these a step even further and says, and there is personal truth. There is a person who is truth. Truth is a person. 
a concrete reality that experiences sensation with immaterial ideology. And then Jesus says, I'm him. I am the way. Truth is a person. The truth and the life. Not just some ethereal concept beyond critique or beyond verification. By the time Jesus is standing before Pilate in John chapter 18, close to the end of his life, he has left in his wake evidences of all of those truth claims that I just uh, shared. What is truth? Well, uh, for those who seek only to, uh, those who labor here seek only the truth, Jesus is standing there in the flesh as one betrayed, one beaten, one accused of blasphemy, one that claimed to be God. Oh my goodness, hold up. This is crazy. Seriously? You ever heard of such thing? Only in a psych unit, maybe. And so when word gets out about this, I mean, he's, this, this, this is insane. Except that he had left a trail of evidences for those who would seek the truth to explore. Like what? Backing up his claims of being God. By the way, you know, we have red letter Bibles that have all of Jesus' words in red. Wouldn't it be something if we had a green letter Bible that had all of Jesus' deeds in green? That's what he, he asked us to evaluate here. What, beyond what he claimed, what did he do? What were his behaviors? He forgave sin. Only God does that. He commanded nature, whether it was calming the storm or uh, turning water into wine, speeding up the scientific process. He healed disease. Paralysis, blindness, deafness, leprosy, epilepsy, all kinds of sicknesses by all kinds of people. There was a, a trail of evidences that they could explore. He delivered from evil, whether it was demonic per, uh, possession or personal spiritual violence that is happening because of an oppression. He received worship. Only God does that. And Jesus was essentially saying, so check it out. And he reversed death. He brought a little girl back from the dead and then gave her back to her parents. Wasn't that a happy day for them? And then he's standing in a cemetery where his own close friend Lazarus has died and been buried four days ago. He's been in the tomb. And, um, and he calls him by name and Lazarus comes out. And then they take off his grave clothes. Now when word of that gets to the religious authorities, they immediately know this stuff doesn't happen. This is insane. And this guy, if we don't, get, if we don't reel him in, something bad's going to happen. So they put an APB out on Jesus, call him a blasphemer, say nobody should ever declare themselves to be God and get away with it. And so the next thing you know, long story short, he's standing in front of Pilate because of that. The Jews don't have capital punishment. They want to get rid of him. So they bring him to the Romans so that they can snuff him out. And that's where the conversation comes up. He said, well, what are you doing here with me? Don't you know I have power in my hands? And Jesus said, my power is the truth. I came to, to testify to what's true. And everybody who's listening for what's true, everybody who labors to search for what's true will listen to me. And that's when Pilate asked the question, what's true? 
What's true? Fits our culture, doesn't it? What's true? The truth of his life was on display. That's what Jesus was saying. And later, after Jesus is crucified and buried and then rises from the dead, the angel at the empty tomb tells the women, come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Look at the words in that verse. Come and see at the beginning. And what's the word at the end? See him. So for people with blind spots who haven't learned how to live larger into the reality of God's truth, he's saying, come explore it, investigate it, put it to the test, come on in. It's an, invest, it's an invitation to investigation. Maybe that's what God is inviting you to do today. To put whatever truth claims that you're holding to, to the test and see, do they live? How do they live? Oh, no, no, this is just my philosophy of truth. It doesn't really live. No, I want to say, God wants you to get in on life the way the truth and the life, it lives. Well, Matthew then says that Jesus meets the women as they're on their way to go talk, tell the men about Jesus being risen. Jesus interrupts them. And I think Matthew actually says that Jesus says, greetings. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what is that? Hey, <laughs> I mean, what, what is that? And they, they immediately, they kneel at his feet and they're clinging his legs in his resurrected presence. They're worshiping him as God. And Jesus then tells them to go tell his brothers that they go to Galilee and they will see him there. Blind spots are going to be removed. And then it happens. But you know what, of course, one of the disciples named Thomas wasn't there. <laughs> and so when the other guys are telling him what happened, he says, I doubt it. And of course he did. This stuff doesn't happen. People die, they don't come back. Are you kidding me? And then Jesus shows up to him in the same room with them. And what does Jesus say? Let's put it to the test. Let's put the truth claims to the test. Put your finger here. Touch me. Feel my scars. Stretch out your hand. Let your senses help you here. Let your mind help you here. And then feel this. And then, in other words, test the truth. And then when it comes to your ideation about it, as you're thinking about what's happening, stop doubting. That's an immaterial realm we're being invited into. So from the physical evidences, he says, now talk to your mind about the way you're viewing your world. It's a worldview question. And he's saying, choose to believe. Why? This is truth. The most real. Truth is one definition. That which is most real. Jesus is saying, here I am. In the Sermon on the Mount. Early in Jesus' ministry, he challenges his listeners to always evaluate their teachers. Now, this always happens in our church. It always happens in Baptist churches. You always evaluate teachers and preachers, right? Well, Jesus said you should. You should always evaluate teachers, because, but you do it not by their words or not by their ideas. You do it by their behaviors. Look at the fruit in their life. The proof will be in the pudding. And uh, so, not merely by what they say, but what they do. And then you be careful as you make your own life choices based on what they say. 
Because then he goes on, he says, deceivers are loose in the world. False prophets are everywhere. And in the end, then here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who follow them will not be in the kingdom of heaven, but they will be separated from God. Because it wasn't true. They will be separated from God. And here are the words he uses uh, about worldview teachers that are on the threshold of eternity. And, um, and they're going to hear Jesus say this, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. Don't be that guy. When it comes to worldview and what you choose to align to, you know, be one who chooses wisely. That's why the next illustration, he says, we're going to talk about this next week, about sand and rock. Be, be the guy who can say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, the most true, most real truth, all other ground is sinking sand. So when you get right down to it, truth in practice, that's the behavior, is that to which you give authority to determine your behavior in life. Truth in practice is that to which you give authority to determine your behavior. So, some people, when it comes to this and what they practice, they let what other people think be their truth. Sometimes they let other people do their thinking for them. Jesus said, don't do that. But don't, so some people let what other people think, what, they, what their opinions are about them. Some people um, let what some person says some cultural icon or some artist or some political leader, um, determine their behavior. Because remember, in tr truth in practice is what you give authority to determine your behavior. Some people let what's trending now be what determines their behavior. That's where they shop and that's how they live and that's what they say because what's trending is where they want to go. And that's determining their behavior. And so that's the authority that they're giving credence to as their truth. Some people let the echo chamber that they've been called into digitally that keeps reloading itself according to the algorithms so that now all they hear is the same stuff that keeps telling them all the stuff that they've always been hearing. And since it's all they hear, they say that must be true. You know what Bible word is used when talking about that to which you give authority to determine your behavior? You know, it's a four-letter word, four-letter Bible word, obey. <laughs> what, what the Bible is asking, what Jesus asks us to do with that which we determine to have authority over our behavior, when you do that, you're actually obeying that influence. And that's why Jesus says, so obey me in truth. Now, we don't hear that in culture except obey your thirst. You know, it's an ad campaign. But really, they're trying to get you to align the framing of your life according to the worldview they're hawking. You're thinking with me, right, about this? If the influence is media, what people say, what's trending today, or whatever the worldview that's hawking you, their goal is to bend your behavior to align, to let them be the authority that determines your thinking, your view on the world. I could be wrong about this, but it sure seems right from where I, I live. So live your life from their truth. That's what's happening. 
Now, the Genesis story, the story of the Bible, begins where? By telling us that God is the absolute truth. In the beginning, God. God is the most real. God is the most true. God is God from whom all else comes and exists. So wandering away from him by whatever worldview you call is going to lead you to a dead end. That's the story of Genesis. Then chapters 3 through 11, we've been tracking all the dead ends that come when people turn away from God as the source of their life. And then what we see in the rest of the story of the Bible through Israel, God's called out to be the model for anybody who's laboring to see what's true, then we see over generations and civilizations what it looks like when we align or when we wander. So if you want to become more informed about that, by the way, about what the Bible says and what the Bible means, we recommend the New International Version of the Life Application Study Bible. It's got tons of notes from hosts of different scholars, not just one voice, but many voices of those uh, scholars committed to respond to questions that are raised on every chapter in every book of the Bible. And it's a tremendous resource. It's a family answer book. It's built toward application, toward how you behave because of what you believe. That's a worldview, a biblical worldview that can be yours. And the return on the investment is so strong. If you're new to the Bible, or you simply want to uh, go deeper in it, I'm telling you, this is a tool that will benefit you in your thinking and in your doing. But Genesis 12, now we've been through Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12, we're going to spend more time there next time we're together. But in Genesis 12, we're introduced to a man named Abram. Abram. And God calls him out, calls him by name, And he essentially says, follow my lead, and I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the whole world. That's the call. And then Abram believes the call. Chapter 15 tells us that when he believed the Lord, he trusted that truth, and he aligned his behavior under the authority of God's influence. Then look what happened. It made his life right. Stuff started happening right for him. He credited it to him as righteousness. That's what made things right for him. Obeying God, following God's lead, even though he didn't know where God was taking him. The word picture here is this. God is the absolute truth. And when you seek to follow the truth, when it calls you as God called him, then following God's call, giving him authority to determine your behavior, will lead you to a place of being set right. Set right in this life, set right with God. So here's the bottom line, the takeaway, the take-home truth for us today is this. Trusting God as truth, life's true north, life's true north is the right way forward. Could we say that together? Trusting God as truth, life's true north is the right way forward. Are you doing that? That's the secret to becoming in the God-grace life. And then when God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ and then bringing the new covenant in him, he shows himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because he wants to bless us 
in the blessing that he made to Abraham in the fullness of Messiah. And that blessing looks like this. Christ is our way to a life of going. You know, without the way, there is no going. He is our truth to all of our knowing, the true knowing of what's most real. And then he is the life so that we can grow into all the blessing of being who he has called us and created us to be in Christ. And this is a blessing God desires for you, for everybody who breathes, for everybody who seeks, for everybody who is open to labor, to seek only what's true. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your truth in your word, in your son, by your spirit, in your world. And as you told us, Lord Jesus, so many deceivers are loose. So many false teachers are loose. And right now it seems like our culture is just lost in a sea of anarchy where everybody based on what they feel, is creating their own, quote, truth. And, and then we wind up so separated and so far from one another and so, so desperate on dead ends. We're praying your mercy today that you would open our eyes wider, that where blind spots have shaded and clouded our vision, our view of the world, that you would cause the blind spots to drop. Fill us with your light and help us to find what's true, that we might be more true. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the truth we seek. Friend, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Wherever you're connecting with us, do you sense God whispering in your spirit? Do you sense a prompting that says, well, I want what's true. I don't want what's fake. I want what's real. I don't want to deconstruct every story I've been told. I want to find what's true and what's real, what's greater than what I feel. And if that's you, then there's a way forward for you right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my way, be my truth, be my life, and lead me to the Father so I can know who I am. Forgive my sins, fill me with your spirit as I turn from my way and learn to go your way. And I receive the gift of your salvation now by faith. And I make this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.